This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Biseglia. I, dude, I don't know how much time we should spend breaking down that putrid loss of the Chicago Bulls on Sunday afternoon, but I'm not used to losing, man. So when mm. we lose, it sucks. Uh, I'm not used to losing. I'm only used to losing if uh, Nikola Vucevic is involved. Then I'm like, yeah, the Nets are probably not going to win any games. And he just seems to torture the Nets wherever he goes. He tortures the Nets. And he did the same today with the Chicago Bulls. He was he did uh, he did Nikola stuff, made jumpers, rebounded, hit little floaters and just tortured the Nets. There's a there's a long list of Brooklyn Net killers. Hmm. He is on that list. Irsan Ilyasova is also on that list. For some reason, that's the name that just jumps out of me when I think about it. But I, I think what, what kind of sucked about this game, there were a couple of things in my opinion. Obviously, the injury to Tyler Johnson, because Tyler looks like the kind of guy that, if he's healthy, remains in the rotation even when mm. this team is fully healthy because of his ability to hit threes and obviously defend. So I don't know what the final injury announcement's going to be on Tyler Johnson in the next few days. I personally don't think it's going to be good. It was a non-contact injury. So it sucks. It sucks for the depth of this team at the guard position because I really thought Tyler Johnson was going to be part of the rotation moving forward. He absolutely was. And we've seen now that TLC is just, I know early in the year he was making shots. If he's not making shots, he's a problem. He's a liability for this team. He's not as good defensively. And it's just not the same guy. And that, that stinks. You feel bad for Tyler. You know, you hope for the best and hopefully he can make a recovery. But, you know, the Nets didn't have great backup point guard play to begin with. Like tonight with no James Harden, you know, Tyler pretty much played the point until Chioza right. came in there in the fourth. So that's another element, too, is just like, you know, ball handlers and people that can even bring the ball up and down the court, you know, if Harden's out, if Kyrie's out. So, yeah, that's that's not a great that's not a great uh Good sign for the Nets. That was a big blow. And Shama, too, is banged up because it looked like he may may have re-aggravated his ankle injury. I'm not as concerned about the Shamit one as the Johnson one, but to your point, the guard depth could potentially take a hit. But, but here's the truth. If James Harden and Kyrie Irving are healthy, one of them is always on the floor. Yes. I mean, that's yes. just the reality of it. That's how they've been so dominant over the last two months even without Kevin Durant, one of them is always out there. But, you know, what, what sucked about this game, there were a few things that sucked. They fall behind by 19, and I'm thinking to myself with a back-to-back, especially the Knicks, yeah. who I know still freak you out, you know, you're thinking, all right, if this is going to be a blowout, if it's going to be one of those days, no James Harden, no Kevin Durant, F it. 
Kyrie Irving doesn't play in the fourth quarter. Just don't burn yourself out in this game against Chicago. But they went on that 7-0 run or that 9-0 run led by the bench. Chioza was out there. Johnson was out there. So, of course, Kyrie gets reinserted. Of course, Joe Harris is out there. And, you know, they were in it until the final minute and a half of the game. They got it within seven. I think there was a big offensive rebound and Zach Levine hit a three. And that pretty much ended it because they kept hanging around. You know, even though they were down by double digits, they they would always make a run, get it to eight, get it to nine. In that case, get it to seven, where if you're Steve Nash, you're still going for it. So they still kind of went for it, got the loss. And I don't know how much that's going to impact them Monday night against the Knicks, but. I was thinking midway through the third quarter, you know what? Just get blown out. <laughs> let's just let's just pack it in and call it a day, you know? No, I, I could understand that. I felt that a little bit, you know, too. And then, but again, the moment they cut it to nine, they cut it to seven. You know, Jeff Green's dunking like he's 26 in the dunk contest. Every <laughs> every other game now, he has like one of these crazy dunks. It's bizarre. It's awesome. But yeah, I'm with you too on that. You felt that a little bit, but they just... They, it was always within reach, but not close. And it was in this weird in-between area where it hovered from 8 to 13 from like the eight-minute mark in the third quarter to basically until the buzzer sounded at the end of the game and they just ran out of time. And then I think Kyrie ended up logging like 38 minutes. Yes. Minutes. You know, now you're going into the Nick game versus, you know, New York, where you obviously want to get the win because it's our rival. And, you know, you, you worry about Kyrie's health. Now, at the, at the same time, what if, is Harden going to play? Is Kevin Durant going to even play? So that changes all of that. But, yeah, it, it kind of was like the wor- – it was a terrible loss in the sense of it burned minutes and also was on the road to the Bulls who – you know, I'm like, I don't watch every second of the Bulls, but I was surprised by just how bad they've been playing because they've, they've got some guys, they've got some talent. Like, Ch- Ch- Chicago should be better. Yeah, I think now that they're home – they have Vukovic in a lineup. Obviously, Zach Levine's had a hell of a year. I think they're going to make their run now. So I wouldn't judge them based on their record being eight games under 500. I think they're going to turn out a lot better than what their record says right now. It wasn't – look, you called it a terrible loss. It wasn't a terrible loss because they're 34 sure. and 16, and we will forget this game in no time. It was an annoying loss because you potentially lose two guys to injuries – And like you said, Kyrie ends up playing 38 minutes. I thought the other negative was I was surprised when I saw Nash had Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge both starting. And this is not a knock on the individuals, okay? Because we've talked about it. Blake's been very good as a net. And LaMarcus Aldridge in the two games we've seen him has been good and makes me feel stupid because as much as you and I think Andre Drummond would have been a better fit based on his skill set, And based on his resume and based on his age, at least based on his first game against the Hornets, LaMarcus fits and may well fit better, even though he's not as good as Andre Drummond with the switching, with the communication on defense, the way he can stretch the floor and hit threes. So, look, there's a reason why Sean Marks is a genius. But Blake and LaMarcus on the floor at the same time was not beautiful. The net rating sucked. They look slow as hell. So, both good pieces, both fine additions. I'm just not sure we're going to see much more of Blake at the four and LaMarcus at the five on the floor at the same time. But you know what? That's why it's moments like this, right? They're in Chicago. They're playing the Bulls, a game they lost that no one will remember. You know, Hopefully 
unless you think about Tyler Johnson, I guess, but you won't remember. This is where Steve Nash is experimenting. He's like, all right, let's play against the Bulls. Let's see what this looks like. We don't have Durant tonight, so we know uh, we don't have Harden tonight, so we can kind of uh, tinker with the lineups a little bit. This is where it's used for. It's like, okay, let's see what this looks like with these two on the court together. This is the kind of game we can do it because, you know, F it, no one's going to remember. So I, I appreciate that aspect of it. Now, I'd be stunned if, like, all of a sudden you saw this kind of lineup again. Then I'd be like, okay, look, we learned the first time. It didn't work. That's what this regular season is used for now with this team. That and getting the one seed, okay, it did not work. But, you're, you know, I, I think the coaching staff will go after this and go, nope, that's not how it's going to work. We need to have some form of rotation with Blake and right. uh, Lamarcus, and see and see how that you know plays out ultimately with the other pieces in the lineup. You know, let's face it; most of the rest of the regular season is going to be that. It's going to be the big three actually playing together, developing chemistry together, and Steve Nash working out his rotations. The only regular season games that jump out at me the rest of the way. I'm not going to say the Knicks on Monday. I'm not going to say that even the Lakers on Saturday because no. what the hell does that mean, especially if LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't Nothing. out there? It's the Philly game. They have one more game against the Sixers. Maybe on April 14th, everybody's healthy. Maybe Joel Embiid is out there. I know Joel is back. He didn't play tonight as the Sixers lost to Memphis, which was great. It kind of offset the Nets loss to Chicago that the Sixers are getting booted home as they get destroyed by the Grizzlies. So we're still tied for the number one seed, but the game in Philly. And then I guess the back-to-back in Milwaukee, maybe in the, in the first week of May outside of that. I mean, the schedule is just going to be for chemistry and developing rotations. There aren't really any big games, I guess the Philly game, because I want the one seed, you want the one seed, but really the rest of this regular season is going to be about the guys being out there and playing and Steve Nash tinkering with his rotations. Even that game, though, and I said early on when we were talking in this episode, I want the one seed. But even that, it's like, it just doesn't matter. It's just about when you get to the playoffs. And, you know, I always hear the cliche, oh, a series doesn't start until the other team wins on the road. And I always thought that was so stupid. It's The series doesn't start until the team wins. And it's just going to be about when they get to the playoffs, can they win games? And that's what it boils down to. Like the Nets can go out against Philly, Evan, and lose by 42. And it's like, oh, the world's ending. We're not that good, blah, blah, blah. We can't be, you know, big play with these teams. Then they get to the second, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals, and they play the Sixers, and they win Game One in Philly, and you're like, "Well, we stole home court. That didn't matter. Here we go, etc." So, yeah, those are the big games, but I think even it, even that is still a bit of a stretch when in the full picture, it really doesn't matter, and it's just a weird concept for a season that is about building chemistry. It's about getting players minutes and rotations together. That I've had. Um, it's been a weird season knowing these games are irrelevant in a sense, but still <laughs> getting up and down on wins because you want to see your team win. It's just a, it's a strange, strange experience altogether. It really is. No, it is, man. And I, I remember when the season first started, we both said, boy, you get nervous every time Kevin Durant is in the air. And every time Kevin Durant comes down on a jump shot, you're staring at his feet to make sure he came down cleanly. I kind of think when he comes back, and they're certainly hinting it's going to be soon. It could be the game against the Knicks. It could be sometime this week it feels like Durant's coming back. Maybe it's the Pelican game. Maybe it's the Laker game. I'm sure ABC would appreciate that on a Hmm. Saturday night. But I think we're going to have the same feeling with Kevin because he's missed so much time. I mean, it almost feels like Kevin Durant has barely played this season. So I think when he comes back, 
and I, and I would think there'll be some kind of minutes restrictions on them, though. Steve Nash doesn't seem to <laughs> right. really believe in minutes restrictions. But I think every move Kevin Durant makes, we are going to have a nervousness like we had back in December. Oh, it's going to be bad. Oh, my man. He was leading the team and like falling on the floor. In particular, I remember like those Grizzly losses for some reason stick out of my mind early in the season. He was just all on the floor. And it it's, it does feel like it's, you know, Kevin Durant's kind of been a ghost lately. You know, you haven't seen him play. He's been more uh, in the news for what he did off the court with the Michael Rappaport stuff and less about his game on the court. So I, it's just going to be fun to see him out there. And I hope it's Monday. I hope it's again. Against the Knicks, the sooner the better. Uh, just, just, just to get on there, get some chemistry, and you know, thank goodness it sounds like this James Harden injury isn't anything serious. Because of course it was like, all right, we know Kevin Durant's coming back next week, and now James Harden goes down. It's like we can never get this all together. So I'm just, I'm so excited to see this team at full strength, see them play, see what it looks like because the team's been awesome. The team's won games. They're 20 and four in the last 24, but they haven't been at full strength, and it's just. I'm ready to see what this looks like with Durant and Harden and Kyrie, all the new pieces, everybody together. And it's like, all right, we're in the middle of April now, or we're, you know, April 7th, 8th, whatever it is. It's now time to get to it. Time to get this team some chemistry and get rolling as we head into the playoffs. And what's the best chance you and I, you know, in the last 25 years have seen a Nets team have a chance to win a championship. I know. I know. I, that, that part is still kind of sinking in because, this is a year in which they have to win a championship. I mean, I, I, know. I think mm-hmm. we're going to go in to the postseason, which isn't that far away now. We're a month and a half away, so we can kind of see the finish line a little bit with not this, hey, I think we could win a championship. It's a, we better win an NBA championship. Yeah. You know, it's that we, we got to win the whole freaking thing. It's it's so, everything about this is so God freaking weird. I mean, yeah. From James Harden being the MVP, the guy that's won our affection over, to Kevin Durant being almost like a figment of our imagination, to the pressure this team is going to have. And what's crazy is every regular season game they've played that we've looked at as a challenge, you know, whether it's the Clippers or the Bucks or the Celtics early in the season, they've won. Like every game they've played that could be a playoff preview. They've won. And mm-hmm. I don't know. This is going to sound crazy, man. There's almost a negative to that. They, they almost have to face some kind of adversity because come postseason time, and hopefully it's not in the first round, they're going to face adversity. You know, when the Miami Heat won back-to-back NBA championships, they faced adversity before that to get there, as we saw right. in the Dallas series the year before. And then even throughout in their fights with Boston, they faced adversity. So, mm. you know, the only adversity this team has faced is health. Yeah, that's it. They haven't faced really that on court against an elite opponent. And we're not talking about the Cavaliers or the Pistons where they've played like crap, but like the real adversity. And I don't know. I, I, how can you face that in the regular season? I don't even know what it would be that would qualify as that in the regular season. Yeah, there's nothing. That's a really interesting point. Thinking back on it, like looking back at this season so far, there's been none of those moments. It's uh, well, I, from a true adversity standpoint, there has been nothing. So I think it's going to be in the playoffs. That's where it has to be. I'm trying to think back to the Nets team that went to the finals in 0102. And if like that, I, I, I couldn't tell you this, but like I'm trying, I'm trying my best. 
like at the regular season, if they had any adversity. And I don't think they really did because they just kind of surprised people and won. And they got their lesson in adversity when they played the Indiana Pacers in the first round, lost game one. And then that game five where they pulled it out in double overtime, that was like they're coming together for adversity, which then helped them overcome that issues they had with the Celtics to get to the finals. So I think for this team, they're just going to have to rely on the fact that they've got veterans. They've got guys that have been to the finals guys that have made championship shots and Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then guys like James Harden that want to get over the top that I don't think they're going to see adversity in the regular season. To your point, Evan, how do you make adversity when right. their biggest issue is just like all playing together? It's impossible. It's just it's, yeah. it's, it's just gonna have to happen in the playoffs. It just is. Yeah. And look, that 0-2 Nets team faced adversity right out of the gate. I mean, that Indiana series was hard fought from the mm-hmm. beginning. And look, as a one seed, you've got to win, as we recall. I mean, I certainly felt that way when they lost game one, because they lost game one at home in that series. Yeah. Uh, and then they won the next two, and I think they lost game four in Indiana. And then obviously the double overtime game was, I mean, yeah. it was just, it was everything. But then they faced it again when they had that out and out collapse in yeah. game three in Boston in the Eastern Conference final. So they really faced it twice and responded both times. First series against Indiana, and then obviously the conference finals against Boston. Yeah, and that was uh, a beautiful thing to watch and see in real time. And I just think that's what's going to have to happen again for this Nets. It's just, you just can't create that in this regular season. And this regular season has been dumbed down even more by the fact that there's no Durant. This has become James Harden's team, which has been awesome to watch. But now we're just in cruise control where it's like, what else is there to see? You know, like, this is it. So we got to get these guys together and there will be, I mean, there will be some, some stuff that happens. Like it's rare for a team to just steamroll through the, you know, through a conference and go, uh, you know, 12 and one, 12 and two, and then make their way into the NBA finals. I mean, even if like, you know, they get to the second round and they play in the heat, like the heat are really good. Or if right. they're playing the Bucks or the Sixers, I mean, those are going to be some battles. Like the, the, the Nets are going to be in some series, uh, especially rounds two and, you know, knock on wood three when they get there. By the way, one of the teams that steamrolled their way to the NBA finals was freaking us in 2003. Remember yeah. that first round against the Bucs was a battle. It was two, two. And then we won the next two and won the series in six, but then sweep the Boston Celtics, yeah. sweep the Detroit Pistons. So if my math is correct, and that was the first year where the first round series was best of seven, yep. 12 and two, 12 and two and 10 straight victories in going to the NBA finals, baby. We yeah. did. No, I know that's crazy. There was that huge Jason Kidd shot against the Pistons in Detroit, that that corner jumper fading away. I don't remember if it was game one or two. I, I apologize. I can't remember that, but I know they got that win. And then that Celtic series against Boston, you know, the one the year before was so dramatic, but they just steamrolled them there. Uh, we know what happened with the Spurs, but yeah, that season had less drama in the playoffs. You're right. It was more against the Bucks, the feisty George Carl squad that was uh, pretty good for, for, a, for, for a seven seed. Uh, gave the Nets a lot of fits, but bringing it back to everything. It's just like, it's, it's just staying healthy. That's what makes these games Evan so frustrating. It's like, you know, Tyler Johnson's hurt, but you can't not put people in bubble wrap forever. They got right. games. No, you can't I agree. Just not play and take L's, but it's just a consequence of it. And, and it just, it just sucks when you see that happen, especially when the guy's just <laughs> running up the court. And when you saw that, you knew like, Oh, oh no. God. 
It was the, you know, it was like Dude, non contact injury, the worst. That's always the worst. They, they, just one last thing about facing adversity is the Miami Heat. And I don't know if we should be compared to the Miami Heat, but they were the big three. And look, they, they were together for four years. They went to four NBA finals. They won two championships. I would find that successful. If our crew stays together for four years and we win two NBA titles and lose two NBA finals, I think I'd sign for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, it also means these guys are extending in Brooklyn, so they're staying here for a while. But in the first year, I remember they lost game one in the conference finals to the Bulls. They got blown out. But then they responded with four straight victories. And then the, the biggest adversity I think they faced is they had to win a game six in Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals the following year, the year they won their first NBA title as a group. They were down 3-2 to Boston, had to win a game six in Boston. They destroyed them. I think they won by a lot. LeBron almost scored 50. And then they took care of business in game seven at home. So they had some pretty big adversity. You know, if we're facing an elimination game on the road, Ugh. I mean... <laughs> We're going to hide under a rock for 48 hours before that game is played. Uh, and and, the, and those games are coming. I mean, you know, you look at the first round and it, they're going to play a team like a Charlotte, Atlanta, New York, and Indiana. But yeah, that, that second round when they get there and it's going to be the Miami Heat. It's going to be Miami. Be, I agree with you. A team that went to the NBA finals the year before that's got a, you know, an injured Victor Oladipo. We'll see what he, what he ends up being like. But Jimmy Butler – Bam out of bio. I mean, this is a team that's well, battle test. I mean, the, I, I think there's like, you know, is playing the Miami Heat. This is nuanced stuff. Ultimately, if you're going to win a championship, you got to win. Got to beat everybody. You got to beat everybody. But it's like, hey, you know what? They're just going to have to. They're just going to have to play good teams and beat them. The second round on is eight teams, on, you know, then lower. So they're going to be challenged. Well, well, keep this keep this in mind because. Right now, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and obviously the Brooklyn Nets are all separated by a game and a half. So I don't know how it's going to finish. The Bucs get a lot of games against the Nets. Remember, they have those two games in Milwaukee. To end and it, I think you know. the Bucs have the same thing against the Sixers. So I can't eliminate Milwaukee from this equation, but that's a part of why the number one seed is so important. Because as dangerous as Miami is, and they've had a weird year, man. And I get Very it. Weird. They played... Deep into last year, they were in the NBA Finals, which went all the way till September. Uh, Jimmy Butler's missed time. They make the trade for Oladipo. I, I get all that. But I think you'd agree there's clearly a line of demarcation between the top three teams in the East and then the drop-off to Miami, and then, in my opinion, a drop-off to everybody else. The also-rans, like the Hornets, like Atlanta, like the Knicks, like even the Celtics. I mean, I don't know what the Celtics are, but right now they're at 500. If you get the one seed, it's not just home court throughout. It's avoiding that second round matchup with either Philadelphia or Milwaukee. It means a second round matchup with Miami. And as tough as the Heat are, I don't know, man. I'd rather deal with them in the second round. I know we go back and forth about this because of how dangerous Miami can be and how well coached they are. And the fact that Bam Adebayo could be a pain in the ass in a seven game series. But I, I do think that that's a part of why the one seed is so important. You avoid that war in the second round with Milwaukee or Philadelphia. And look, who knows which Miami Heat team shows up? I think we true, assume true. they're in the 4-5 series and they win and they beat a Charlotte and they beat Atlanta or they beat the Celtics or the Knicks. We don't really know. I mean, who the hell knows with this Miami team? They've been an enigma this year. This is what scares me about the Bucs as, as you're talking about who you could play in the second round if you had to you know, play a Philly or Milwaukee because you're not the one seed or whatever. What scares me about the Bucks this year, beyond the talent and the playing, and 
is in the last two years, they've been the one seed and everything has been focused on Milwaukee to make the NBA finals, to be the team that gets there because the expectations are on them and they fell very short and very flat the last two years. And Giannis hasn't put together great playoffs. It scares me a little bit thinking that Milwaukee going in, even if they are the one seed, for example, let's just say that's the way everything falls together. The Nets and Sixers trail (laughs) off a little bit and Milwaukee ends up being the one seed. What scares me about Milwaukee this year is that all all the hype is on the Nets that's where everybody's talking about. They're talking about Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, and all of it together. And then, you know, Embiid and everything he's done this year. I almost feel as if Milwaukee's gone under the radar this season, even though they've played some spectacular they have. football. And I get worried of them being a little looser, Giannis in particular, that when they get into the playoffs, that could be a factor where the, where the expectations aren't on them. It's on the Nets this year. And that, that kind of worries me a little bit. Well, they, they definitely are, <laughs> excuse me, more so than the last few years under the radar. But I think a part of why is we all look at Giannis. We see a superstar clearly, but we haven't seen a guy grow. Like he hasn't developed that three-point shot at all. I mean, he's hovering around the same percentage he hovered at last year and even two years before that. And I think most of us, and I'm certainly one of them, are very skeptical of Giannis Antetokounmpo being that closer. And you need closers come postseason time. It's why Miami's dangerous. It's why you stay up at night worried about Miami, because Jimmy Butler is a killer. Uh, I don't know if Milwaukee has that, as good as Giannis is. He could put up all the numbers he wants in the regular season, but I think that's a part of why a lot of people are sleeping, if you will, on the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis has to prove he can be that killer come postseason time. No, I get that. But I, I think there's something about him not having the burden of the guy that has to go out there uh, and be the team that gets to the championship. And people will say, hey, I think it's going to be the Nets. They've got this trio of guys that are just unstoppable. I think it's going to be the Sixers. They've got the best center in the NBA and Joel Embiid who's taking a next step. I think that's going to relax Milwaukee. And I just have a, a strange feeling when the playoffs come that that's going to get them loose. That's going to get them in a better position in the playoffs where they don't get as tight and we don't see Milwaukee fall flat like they have in the last couple of years. Uh, then again, that might also just be my anxiety and coming up with scenarios in my head <laughs> of how the Nets are going to lose because I will be honest well, and I do do that. I mean, but, but you know, part of it's true. And then the fear of these are the teams that the Nets are going to have to try to get by. How, they want to win championship. How we're going to lose is if these guys aren't playing. I mean, I, I yeah. think it's a simple formula. And here's what worries me. I'll give you a negative view on this Nets team. We all sit here and everybody listening is sitting here assuming that Kevin Durant, James Harden and Kyrie Irving are going to play every game for two months. That's what we're assuming. We haven't seen them to have the ability to play every game for two weeks, let alone two months. Now, I understand the standards are different come postseason time. Steve Nash even said it. If this was the playoffs, KD would be playing. I get it. I under James Harden would be playing. I get all that. Kyrie Irving may not be disappearing. I, I get all of that, but for the Nets to win and to fulfill our destiny, these guys have to play. They have you to. You can't blame anybody for saying, okay, so between May 25th and July 25th, those guys are going to go out there and play every game 35 minutes a night for two months straight. Now, what, what makes me feel a little bit better is we've seen this team without Kevin Durant dominate. 
So there is a part of us that can say, hey, you know, unfortunately, something happens to one of our stars. We can still compete for a championship. So that 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 does make me feel a little bit better. But I think that's what should keep you up more than Jimmy Butler or Giannis Antetokounmpo or Chris right. Middleton or even Joel Embiid. It's us. The thing that can stop the Nets would be the Nets. I think I want to go back and watch the Warriors game in Golden State or in San Francisco now that the Nets played because that was the last time the big three were together with Kyrie Harden and Durant because I'm having a hard time, Evan, just remembering what it looked like to see these three guys on the court. I know. You know, you know, the season started. We got all excited about Durant and his health. And then now this is basically, you know, James Harden's team that I kind of just envisioned that what that Nets team looks like with Kyrie off the ball, the slips to Bruce Brown, the alley-oops to Nick Claxton. I don't remember what that looks like. And that's a bad sign because it's been so long. I, I might just have to go back. And hopefully there's a game before then that this happens. Just what this even looks like. What's the chemistry like? I don't think is the one ball issue. You know, I think that's going to be fine. I think they'll make that work. I think that's been proven to be incorrect right away. Because I think the way James Harden's distributing the ball, you know, if you just have another weapon, essentially, in Kevin Durant, how's that a bad thing? But I got to say, I just, I'm dying to see what this looks like. Like, I... I just want to see it so badly at this point. Get this guys on the court together and let's let's just have some magic and have some fun. All right. So this week, the Nets play the Knicks in Brooklyn. They play the Pelicans. And then Saturday night, the Lakers in Brooklyn uh, in ABC game. The last time the Nets played the Knicks, you were very nervous. You know, you mentioned we can't lose this game. Yeah, I got bad visions. We haven't really said anything about the Knicks and this game for the most part. Do you have that same issue or are you just kind of over it where, ah, whatever, it's just another game against a mediocre opponent? I'm over it. I think I don't want to lose, and I'll be take this loss uh, harder than I would, like, for example, if they lost the, the loss to the Bulls today. But I do think I put myself in the mind frame, mind frame of this team is about winning a championship, and if they lose to the Knicks, they lose to the Knicks, and it is what it is, and I'll get over it. I don't want to see it happen. But ultimately, <laughs> it's just about these guys getting together and being healthy. Like, I want to see Durant play. Uh, I think I'm over the fact of the Knicks part of it, and I've accepted myself that the Knicks are going to be in the playoff format, whatever that might be. They're going to be involved. It is what it is, and I've kind of just accepted that. And maybe on my end, just accepting that the Knicks are halfway decent and they're a team that's pesky and annoying. I'm just like, you know what? It is what it is. Here they go. Uh, I, I'm not going to say I'm going to be uh, happy, but I don't think I'm going to have the the same mindset now that I've seen this team and they're winning basketball games and it is the NBA and you lose games. So um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, tr I've, I've tricked my brain to not caring as much because if they lose, it happens. But ultimately, I know, like you talked about on this podcast episode, it's about getting these guys chemistry. And that's well, what most. I, I kind of look at it this way. If. Durant and Harden, and I think it's a long shot. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, we'll know the status report, right. the game against the Knicks. But if Durant and Harden play, and this is the re-return of the big three, and they're doing it against the Knicks, they better win. Okay, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, the pressure is ramped up to a 10. Yeah. Even though, yeah, if they lose, it's all about a championship. I get that. But it will be a very difficult pill to have to swallow for a few days from the big three losing to the Knicks. If it, I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I think, I think actually that's what it is. And maybe that's where my mind is. If it's Kyrie and the guys, I think maybe, okay, they lost. It's not a full deck. I understand that. 
that's where my head is. I think you've just gone in my brain and dissected me as I sat on the couch. If those three are together, then it's a different feel because it's like all the hype for these guys and they can't beat the Knicks, that would be annoying. <laughs> if it's if it's the team, for the most part, that we saw against the Bulls, probably minus Tyler Johnson, and they lose, I mean, it, it, look, we're fans who want to win every game. It'll be annoying, but it'll be easier to move on because it'll right. just be like, hey, you know what? Half the team wasn't playing. You need the game more than we do. So, look, I've always admitted Nets-Knicks is a, is a bigger deal for for probably us. Maybe now it's for Nick fans, but we get into it. It's like Mets Yankees in a way. So I think a lot of the pressure of the game is going to depend on who actually plays. I think that's a that's a huge factor. Now, the Dinwiddie thing. All right. We we pat we mentioned it passingly the last couple of episodes that the Nets may trade Spencer Dinwiddie. I made my opinion clear. I'd re-sign him. If it was yeah. up to me, if I had Joseph size checkbook, if I was Sean Marks, I'd re-sign him at the end of the year. I see no reason to let him go. It makes no sense. If you decided that it's not worth the luxury tax, because it would be a very high bill, I understand that. Right. Then you may as well trade him and get something back. So the report came out from Mark Stein of the New York Times was that the Nets offered Spencer Dinwiddie to the Warriors for Kelly Oubre. Dinwiddie is on video saying that story's BS. It was the other way around. Do you, first of all, do you believe Spencer Dinwiddie or is he just saying that? I don't know if I believe him. He might just be saying it. He might be. I don't know if he knew there was a camera on him. And it might just be one of those prideful moments where you're interacting with fans and you just want to be like, hey, that's BS. It was the other way around. So I'm not saying he's I, I, I don't know. I don't believe I don't I don't believe it. But I, but I, let, me, let me rephrase that. I don't disagree. It could be true, but he could be spitting that out of his ass. But I don't want to say, oh, Spencer said it. It has to be true. It could have just been in the moment, you know, Spencer wanting to be cool around the people. Like, we're all human beings. We could have done that. So I, I don't buy it. I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to say I agree or disagree with it if that's kind of a cop-out. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of could see him lying, to be honest. <laughs> and how does he really know? I mean, he's not right. involved in that. That's a... That's a GM GM thing. I mean, his agent could say, here's what I heard. Or Sean Marks can tell him, yes, actually, Spencer, they offered us right. this. I mean, but he doesn't really know for sure. I right. hope to God they re-sign him. I really do. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris represent kind of the, the way this team was built. And really, the only reason you'd be letting him go. Look, it's twofold. The only reason you'd be letting him go is money. That's the only reason you'd be letting him go. Now, if he is saying, I want to go somewhere else because I want to play 35 minutes sure. a night, don't want to be a piece off the bench or whatever his role would be next year, then I understand that I would hold no ill will towards him. It's more the ill will towards the Nets for saying, we just don't want to pay you because you also need to have a roster in case there are injuries. You know, I don't think about next year and why the hell would we think about next year? But I guess that's the thought that goes through my mind. I, I really hope they resign him. So I'm I'm sort of glad they didn't trade him because it, it keeps the hope alive that Dinwiddie will be on this team moving forward. Yeah, and if he wasn't dealt, it does show that there might be a, a sparkle of hope that he's coming back this year or that they believe that next year is a sign that they could resign him and bring him back. So I, I think if you had the mindset of, okay, the guy's out for a year and he's we know we can't resign him, you would just trade him for anything that you can get in return. So at least you get something back. 
So, and I think I said this last week on the, on the podcast, it, it was almost like that line of, all right, we can trade him for this asset or we can say, Hey, there's a 30% chance he comes back. Let's roll with that. Let's see what happens. Or maybe he even comes back this year. Cause uh, you know, uh, give me a fully healthy Spencer Dinwiddie on this roster right now. Let's have some fun. Let him go out there, play the backup point guard position, guard people on the perimeter and hit some open shots, hit some threes. Let's give me a healthy Spencer Dinwiddie right now. Let's, let's roll. All right. Next time we talk, when we drop next week's episode, hopefully we'll be talking <laughs> about Durant, Harden, and Irving actually playing a game or two together. That's the hope. Oh, that sounds beautiful to see Kevin Durant on the basketball court, draining threes versus the Knicks. You know, we've had three games. There's four games this past weekend that were teams won by 70. Let's see another one on Monday. Bingo. Thank you, Mike. Mike Biseglia, I'm Evan Roberts. Thanks for listening to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.